Today we're continuing our series called Acceptable. We're looking at what are the kind of gifts that please God because not every gift is a, an acceptable gift. By acceptable, the, the Bible refers to desirable or pleasing to God. There are some gifts that aren't that pleasing to God, and that's why the audience matters, who we're giving to, that our gifts ought to be to honor the Lord. And last week, Pastor Sam did a great job of reminding us uh, that the heart matters, where our heart is in the midst of our giving. And, and today I want to talk about another subject, the, the amount matters, because sometimes people will write off giving and just say, well, all that matters is the thought. It's the thought that counts. And I want to tell you, as a husband, it takes more than just thought. I once gave my wife a, a gift. Uh, she had gone to our neighbor's house and took care of their house when they were on vacation once and commented how much she enjoyed the treadmill they had in their basement. Yeah, you know what's coming. A couple years later, they decided to sell their treadmill for like $100. I said, wow, that's a steal. I'm going to get that for my wife. So Christmas morning, I had the, the, the treadmill hidden down in the basement, covered with the blanket, and after we'd given all the gifts, I said, honey, I've got one more. You're going to really love this one. We walked downstairs, I rip off the cover, and she says, what's that? I said, it's a, of course, it's a treadmill. And she said, for who? I said, for you. And didn't go over real well. And I should have I known because a few years earlier, I think our second year of marriage, I had given her a vacuum for Christmas. Yeah. We needed a vacuum, and, and I knew how much she, she would appreciate a, a better quality vacuum that actually picks stuff up off the carpet, and so I really thought that would be a, a nice gift to give. My mom would have appreciated a new vacuum cleaner, and my wife assured me, she said, honey, if you want to give the house a gift, give the house any gift you want, but that's not, that's not the kind of gift you give to your wife. And I wish I would have seen this commercial. It wasn't out at the time, but J.C. Penney's reminded us of this in a commercial an amazing commercial. You have to see the whole thing on YouTube, but I want to show you the beginning of this commercial, What Not to Give. My eyes are closed. All right, here we go. Here it is. Okay. This is my anniversary gift? Yep. A vacuum cleaner? Dual bag. This is the best vacuum cleaner you'll ever have, baby. Get in there. What? <clears throat> Not a big fan of that look. I gotcha. New arrival in five, four, three, two, one. What is this place? You are in the doghouse. Dog? Since time immemorial, when men have messed up, they get sent here by their wives or girlfriends. Fold. Yeah, but I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything. Every man in the doghouse thinks he's innocent. Isn't that right, boys? <laughs> Look, all, all I know is that I got my wife this really nice gift, and then now here. What'd you get her? This brand new tool bag vacuum cleaner, actually. Hear that, boys? He got our vacuum cleaner. You're a fool, man. <laughs> oh, it was dual bag. And Dualbag doesn't know why he's here. <laughs> I realize it's not the most romantic gift, but there are many reasons a man can end up in here. <laughs> well, at the end of the commercial, they don't even come out and say it. They just show a picture of a, of, of, a, of a guy who got out of the doghouse, stand next to his wife, and the camera zooms in on this sparkly necklace she's wearing. 
Women like sparkly things, don't you? Yeah, that's why this year we're going to get bombarded by commercials by Zales and be reminded that every kiss begins with K. Okay, we're going to be reminded of that because, well, that communicates a great deal of love. I know a lady who a couple years ago had requested of her husband that he buy her a new wedding ring because when they got married, they were very poor. And so the wedding ring was probably about a $100 ring, but it was enough because love, love was what their wedding was all about. But now 20 years later, that $100 ring didn't look so great. So she said, you know, for our anniversary, could you get me a newer ring? Now, here's the dilemma. When you're making tens of thousands of dollars more than you did when you first got married, and, and you realize that the amount of money I spend on my wife's ring is going to communicate a message, and what do I want that message to say? And you're torn between, you know, I want to be frugal and, and responsible with what God's given us, but I don't want to break the bank on being overly generous either. So where's the place in between? I want to value my wife. And he wrestled through, and fortunately for him, he came to an amount that his wife looked at her ring and said, well done. The amount matters. Now, if you're not married, if you don't understand that story, let, let me share with you another one. It's Christmas time. Your boss comes up to you and says, you know, you've worked really hard. We've appreciated what you've done. We've noticed your extra effort. Um, here's a way that we want to say thank you to you at Christmas. And you get this envelope. Christmas bonus. You're so excited that, that you start to dream in your mind, fantasize what you could do with this gift. Maybe go to Hawaii. Uh, maybe buy a motorcycle. I don't, know, I don't know how much it is, but they appreciate me. And, and they're expressing it in this, this, this envelope. So you sneak away, and as quickly as you can, you rip open the end of it, and you pull out not a check, but a $10 gift card to Starbucks. <laughs> and at that moment, you're saying in your mind, the amount matters. Because even though we like to say the thought matters, the thought and the amount go together to communicate a message. And I just want to ask you, what is the message that you communicate to God in your giving? That's what we're going to talk about today as we look. I want, to, I want you to look at the scripture as 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. See, God has given you the privilege to make that decision, kind of like the husband deciding what to give his wife when it comes to the ring. What, what do you want to give to God? It's your choice. Now, God will give guidance. We'll look at some of the guidance he gives in Scripture, but ultimately, he doesn't twist anybody's arm. He doesn't force anybody. He doesn't manipulate anybody. He says, it's going to be up to you. And what's in your heart? What is in your heart? Well, I want to look at three questions that I think can guide us through. What is the right amount to give to God? What should I give? What could I give? And what would I give? Let's start with the, the first one. What should I give? If you're new to church, you probably have wondered sometimes when the offering baskets are passed around, what's expected of me? What does the church expect? Or more important, what does God expect? And I just want to uh, say something. I believe that if you are sincerely wanting to follow the Lord, you really do have a sincere question. God, what is the amount that pleases you? The people that get offended by that and, and really get rattled by that are those who say, like, God, I want to do the, the, the I just want to do what's, what gets me in. Because here's the struggle. If, if what we look at in our lives is as our stuff, then every time an opportunity to give comes up, we look at it as a loss. Someone's taking from me. Someone's making me less of who I am because they're taking from me. It's kind of like taxes. You're taking stuff that belongs to me. But I reminded you a couple weeks ago that for the Christian, all the things we have from God, all the wealth, all the possessions, are an act of stewardship. 
Now, that little child who had this definition of stewardship said, consider yourself on a ship that's been loaded with cargo, cargo belonging to someone else that, that who has asked you to deliver it. So God has given our ship, our lives, stuff that we are to manage for him, to deliver to other people at times, to be a blessing to them. That's what stewardship is. So when, when the owner of the cargo says, I, wanna, I want you to drop that box off over there, he says, yes, sir, I can do that because it's your stuff. But if it's my stuff... Then it becomes very difficult. Now, when you ask the question, what should I give? I always tell people uh, the starting point really is tithing. The, the Bible talks about this. And if this, this is new to you, tithing is simply a practice of giving God the first 10% of what he gives. It comes from the Old Testament. It was in the Jewish law that the people were expected, actually commanded to give. Here's what it says in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so people required, almost like a tax, to give 10%. Now, every third year, they gave another 10%. And so it was actually more than a tithe. They were actually giving sometimes over 20% to the Lord because that was what what was required in the law. Now, if you're a little child and someone gives you 10 cookies and says, would you give up one of your cookies to your brother, it's pretty easy because you still have nine for yourself. But I have to tell you that the older you get and the more you make, the more you start saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. Instead of focusing on what I have, I start focusing on what I could do with what I gave away. And that's why the more people make, the harder it is to give. Do you know that people who make uh, over $100,000 give proportionally less than those who make far less than that? Because their eyes are on what they're giving away, not what they already have to hold to themselves. And that's the challenge we have. But tithing helps us to align ourselves with God's acknowledging, I know where this came from. It came from the Lord. This is the way I acknowledge that God is first in my life. I give him the first portion of what he's given to me. This is an act of obedience. Obedience. Obedience to the laws of God. Now, with the laws of God came blessings and curses. Obey all the laws, you get blessings. Don't obey the laws, you get curses. And so sometimes even when the discussion of tithing comes up, Malachi 3, about the floodgates of heaven opening up, and and, and if we aren't faithful, the, the curses that come. But I want to tell you, I think sometimes we misunderstand that that is part of the Old Testament law. We don't live under the law anymore. We live under grace. And the curse of the law has been absorbed in Jesus on the cross. At the same time, all the blessings that come from God come through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe it, read Ephesians 1. Every spiritual blessing comes through Christ. So it's through faith that we enter into that. But here's the truth. Never in Jesus' ministry does he ever lower the standards lower than the law. So when, when people say, well, I'm doing what the, what the law says, Jesus says, yeah, but you're even missing the heart of the law. So here's what the law said. You know, the, the, the law says you should not commit adultery. Well, I'm not committing adultery. Yeah, but you're looking lustfully at women. At women. Stop it. Well, I'm not killing anybody. Yeah, but your words are. Knock it off. See, Jesus actually raises the bar higher. So when, when someone comes to Christ and says, well, I don't have to tithe because that's Old Testament, I say, but Jesus actually raises the bar for believers. He doesn't lower it. And then that's what we find in the New Testament. People were selling property, giving it to the Lord. I mean, they were extremely generous. I mean, because Jesus had transformed them. They were under grace. And they were grateful for all the blessings they'd received by the Lord. Now, does God bless your faithfulness? Absolutely. He, he blesses our faithfulness to him. But, but, but our faith has to drive that. So if you're asking me, where is a good starting place? I would just say, 
That's where I started. I would encourage you, start there. For some of you, that's a tough thing. But once you start there, then exciting things begin to happen in your life. For some of us who've been in the Lord a long time, I would have to, I would have to say, don't let tithing be the lid. See, the danger is, you know, I've been tithing for 20 years, but I've never grown beyond that because you have to ask the next question. What could I give? What, what could I give? This is where things get exciting and, and probably a little bit frightening at times because it's stepping out in faith. This whole principle comes into play that the Bible talks about called sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Second, um, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is writing to a, a church. Actually, it's a very poor church. And he's writing to them about giving and what they should give in a special offering. And he tells them this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Any farmers here? Anybody grew up on a farm? Not, not too many of you, some of you. I grew up with, with a big garden. My dad loved a garden, had a, an acre garden. And one of the crops that he would, would plant every year was string beans. And so I would put the, the seeds in the, in the ground in the spring, space them out, and then the plants would come up. And as the beans grew, we would actually weave the, the strands of the bean stalks in through chicken wire. So we'd keep the, the, the plant off the ground so they wouldn't spoil and then later in summer, we could harvest the beans off those strands. Well, we always kept some on the, uh, on the fence because at the end of the year in September, they would dry out. We'd crack open the shell, and we'd get all these new, new seeds, seeds that we could then plant in the spring. Here's something you, you would know about farming, that you may plant one seed, but you harvest much more. You plant one bean seed, you get a whole plant with several pods, and each pod has several seeds. You plant one, ear, one kernel of corn, you get a stalk with one or two ears, and each ear has hundreds of kernels of corn. You always get more, but it's always proportional to what you planted. So this principle is this. Plant your resources in God's work, in God's field, because God wants to bring a harvest, and we know the harvest doesn't come in the spring. Harvest comes later on. So he says, be faithful with that. Be faithful, because God is able to bless you abundantly as you sow. Now, this kind of giving we see in our church where people are saying, they're looking at Thanksgiving baskets. They're looking at shoeboxes and go, I could do that. Our family could do that. It's not really asking, should we? It's just, we could. We've got extra resources or we have the means to do that. Let's do that. And so you take on the extra project. It's based on ability. It's based on what you're able to do. Sometimes we wish we could do more. We say, God, I wish I could do more. And God says, don't worry about that. Do what you can do with what you have. And we learn that even in the Old Testament because even while that principle of tithing was going on in the Old Testament, when people made their animal sacrifices, God required them to give according to their ability. So if they had a, 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 a herd of cattle, they would offer a bull. If they didn't have that and had sheep and goats, offer a lamb, offer a, a goat. If they didn't have that, they could offer a pigeon or turtle doves. And so we come to the New Testament when Joseph and Mary have this little baby Jesus and they go to the temple. Do you remember what they offered as a sacrifice? Birds. Why? Because they, they were poor. They didn't have herd of goats or sheep or cows. But then would come a time when Mary would offer her son as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. See, it's based on our ability. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. See, we should grow past what should I give to what could I give. And when you wrestle with that, it, it begins to bring to your mind this whole concept of sacrifices. Because you're inspired then to sacrifice, a willing choice to give up something good in order to do something great for God. And so when my wife and I were first married, we committed that we were going to be tithers. But then opportunities came up to give to building programs and mission opportunities. And we would say, well, we want to do that, and, and we could do this, and here's what we had to decide. We could do that if we gave this up. So we gave up cable TV. Our kids did not grow up with cable TV because we figured we could use that $50 a month to help that missionary. We, uh, we'd go out to eat, and we'd tell the whole family, okay, we're ordering water to drink, okay? Oh, water. Now, we're not going to pay 8 or $10 for soda, okay? We're just going to drink water. And my wife still does this today at times, and we would shop at Goodwill for clothes for our kids. And you know what? I'm not telling you that you should do all those things. I just want to point out that all of us, if we look at our lives and say, I could give up that in order to give more generously to the things of God, the things that please God. You know, I could give up that fancy coffee, or I could give up that extra service, or I could sell this thing. We can make sacrifices. And I'm not saying that this is something we, we regret doing. It's actually something we want to do. Because when you love the Lord, you say, what else can I do for you? There's a story in the Old Testament of David. And David, um, David was a great king in many ways. But one of the things David did at the end of his life was count his fighting men. Now, the reason that was a sin was because because you would take pride in how big your army was. David, David sent out some men to, to find out just how many fighting men he had. And God said, oh, David, bad move. Because God wanted David to know that you do not win the battle with the strength of your army. You win the battle by your trust in me. And I don't care if you have 10 men in your army or, or 10 million men in your army. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you trust me in the battle. But David had, David had this ego thing, counted as men, and so a plague came to Israel. And thousands died from the plague. And then the, the death angel came and stopped at the threshing floor of a Jebusite named Arana. Now at that site, David said, God has been merciful to us. He's forgiven me of my sin. He stopped the plague. I want to offer him a sacrifice right here. Well, this man Arana said, David, now he's a Jebusite. He's not, he's not Jewish. He, but he said to David, I know you're the king, take this piece of property, make your altar right there, and I will provide the animals for the sacrifice. But that wasn't good enough for David. Listen to how David responded to him and his, and his offer. The king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, there's something beautiful. We say the thought that counts the thoughts just escalate when you recognize someone sacrificed something that was valuable to them for me, for me. So what does it mean to God when you make a sacrifice so you can give to him? What does that say to him? It's a beautiful thing that communicates to our Lord. God is blessed. What should I give? Well, if you're new in the faith, I would say tithing is a great place to start. But if you've been in the faith for a while, you probably should be moving to that place of what could I give? God, you've, you've stabilized us. Some of us have kids that are growing. Their college is over and all that. What, what could I give now? What could I do to, to please the Lord? But there's even another level that very few of us ever even consider. What would I give? I mean, what would I give if I could? 
Have any of you ever actually prayed something like this? Lord, I want to give away a million dollars before I die. Wouldn't that be awesome? See, in our minds, we're thinking, no, I couldn't do that because that would cost a lot. But what if you said, God, you provide, I'll give it. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing if if we stepped out? See, several years ago, we we had a program called Faith Promise. And Faith Promise was a way we supported um, a couple missionaries, Scott and Anel Price. And Faith Promise was developed by this idea that you would make a pledge asking God to provide a certain amount and that when God did provide that, you would give it. So you could say, like, God, I pray that you provide $100 a month. If you provide that, I promise I will give it to Faith Promise Missions. And you know what God began to finance through people in this church, this ministry that Scott and L. Price have been doing for over 16 years. That, that's what I'm talking about. It's giving, it's committing ahead of time what God would give you. Ron Blue, who's a financial advisor, a Christian man, says it this way, unless you pre-commit to giving the surplus, chances are good that when the time comes, you will not give it. So here's how it works. You pray, God, I pray that you would provide this so I could give it. And when it does come in, you know exactly where it came from because it's an answer to prayer. It's easy to give. But if you waited until it came in and then started saying, well, should I give this or not? Was this for me or for someone else? You're far more reluctant to give it. And I'm just telling you, that's from my personal experience. It's hard to give if you've not committed it. So I want to encourage you, and maybe this isn't for everybody, but pray that God would entrust you with more. God is looking for faithful stewards, people that he can, he can load up their ship to deliver more. In Luke, he tells this parable. In Luke chapter 16, in the midst of this parable, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And if you're a good steward, I think it's, it's fair to go to God and say, God, I want to do more for you. Enable me to do more for you. I've been faithful with the little. I'd love to be faithful with much. And that's not a prayer for greed. That's a prayer for generosity. This last summer, I learned that Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, established a foundation along with Warren Buffett, both multi-billionaires. And we may look at those people in a skewed way saying, you know, they live in another planet, but here's what they've committed to do. This foundation invites billionaires to commit half of their resources to alleviating poverty and, and, and help people in economic ways. And in order to be part of the group, you have to commit to give half of your wealth away in the course of your lifetime or at your death. Right now, 137 people have signed up. Now, Warren Buffett, who's one of those billionaires, has not only signed up to give half of his wealth away, he's committed to giving 99% of it away. Now, we would think, wow, 99%, but let me just remind you, 99% of a billion means you still have $10 million to live on. And I think I can live pretty well on $10 million. But his point, but they're wrestling with this point of, what does it mean to be faithful with what God's given? Is it mine or is it God's? And wouldn't it be a blessing to have people who say, God, I want to be faithful distributing what you've given me. This kind of giving means we walk by faith. Several years ago, my wife and I made a commitment to this building program, to build this building, and it was the biggest commitment we'd ever made. It was, it was basically doubling our tithe, and we didn't know where it was going to come from, but we stepped out in faith and said, God, we pray that you'll provide. And we did something that was even maybe a little dangerous. We started giving it before it came in. Three months later, we got word that a debt that was owed to us that we thought would never be repaid started to be, be repaid month after month. And it was almost to the dollar of our commitment over the course of the next three years. 
See, I, I know that if, that if we hadn't prayed that God would give us something to be faithful with, um, that we wouldn't have given that. I, I can guarantee you we wouldn't have given all that away had we waited till we got it first and then decided what to do with it. The fact that we'd already committed it, we knew, God, you'd provide it. This is yours. We're going to give it. And I also know, know this. If we had not made the commitment, I'm very doubtful we would have got, even gotten that money. Because I think God honors that. I think God honors the faith of those who are willing to step out and say, God, I'll commit if you give that to me. Because I want to be a faithful steward. What should I give? Tithing's a good place to start. What could I give? I think I could sacrifice God and do a little more. What would I give if I dreamed and asked God? You get to determine the amount, but see, God will help guide, and then you get to decide what to give. But here's, if we really want to settle for each of us, what is the proper amount? I would say this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. If the amount matters to you, if the amount gets your attention, it gets God's attention. That's the key. I want to give in a way that gets God's attention because if it's casual, if it's meaningless to me, if it's easy to do, so convenient, I don't even notice it, I wonder if God even notices it. When you sacrifice, when you agonize, when you pray about it, I think then God says, I'm taking notice of that because you're resting through this. You're listening and you're pressing in to the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, and I'm not telling you what you need to give, but I am telling you this. Lean into God, listen to his voice, and then commit to doing what he says. See, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it just says each of us should set aside a, a part of us, a, a part of what God has given us and give it to him on a regular basis. And we have ways you can go online. It's in your bulletin of steps of how to give online, a beautiful way that you can just be committed. I just got my little notice this morning in the email that my gift to the church had been received. And I know today our culture is far more into electronic giving than ever before. We just don't carry checkbooks around anymore. But I love the fact, and I agonize over the fact, that God wants me to decide in my heart what that amount is. Because it's a dangerous thing to ask God, what would you have me give? My wife and I attended a Christian concert um, once, and it was a free concert. And so when we walked in the door of this free concert, we noticed that they were selling raffle tickets. So I had a $20 bill in my pocket. Um, I could buy six raffle tickets for $5, and they had some cheap little gifts, like a, a, little, a little coat for a dog, um, a CD, a, a study Bible, a radio. And the big gift was uh, an African drum called a djembe. And so uh, I, I decided, oh, let's get some raffle tickets. I never win those things, but at least we'll support this, this event. At the end of the whole event, the, the lead organizer got up and said, okay, we're going to take up an offering, but everybody relax because all I'm going to ask you to do is this. Just ask God what he would have you do and then just, just say yes to him, give what he tells you. I don't like that because God always asks me to give more than I want to. And so I thought, okay, God, what would you have me give? And, you know, this rarely happens, but I heard this very strong voice saying, give what you have. And I thought, you got to be kidding. <laughs> give what you have, and I'll give you the drum. Now, how do you know about that drum? <laughs> this, this sounds like the Lord. And then it dawned on me. I left my wallet in the car. I only brought in a $20 bill, and I just spent $5 on raffle tickets, so I had $15 in my pocket. And I said, oh, Lord, I could give all I have because I have $15. So I put $15 in the offering basket as it was passed. And then after that, they had this drawing for these different items. And so they, they draw, and I don't win any of them until they get to the last item. It's this drum. It's value. There's a tag on it for over $400. And I thought, nobody will ever believe me. 
So I need to tell somebody. So I leaned over to my wife and said, honey, that drum's mine. And she said, what? I said, no, God told me the drum's mine. She said, what? I said, just watch. So the guy invites a kid up on stage. He reaches his hand, his big drum, picks up a ticket. And I thought, you know, I need to, I need to walk in faith. So I start walking down the aisle. And I get about halfway down, and I thought, I better get my ticket out to make sure, because this could look really foolish in a minute. And they read the number, and this is the drum. I don't even play the thing. (laughs) And I walked away that day because it was an illustration for the sermon the very next day. And I felt the Lord saying, that's a taste of what I can do when you listen to me and obey me. If you ask me and say yes, I will do amazing things in your life. And I should have known that because from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord, God has been faithful to do exactly what he says he will do, whether it's written in his word or whispered through his Holy Spirit. He told me when I was 16 years old, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I claim that promise, and God's been true to that. And I've watched all through my life God do promise after promise after promise. And really, ultimately, what is the amount that pleases God? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants all of you. What amount? All of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of me because he wants to bless us. He wants us to taste what eternal life is like. He wants us to find out what this abundant life is. And so when you ask the question, what should I give? If you've never done this, you should give your life to Jesus. That's what you should do. What could you do? Well, you could do that today. You could do it right here. We could baptize you today. That's what you could do. And what would God do if you did that? Let's find out. Only you will know when you surrender your life to Jesus. The amazing adventure he'll take you on to walk by faith. Say yes to him today, but don't stop there. Continue to say yes.